This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning. Uh, I'm Brian. I'm a volunteer here, obviously an amateur. Uh, The scariest part of this moment for me is carrying that table across the stage. So uh, feats of strength in front of people are not my specialty. Um, Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Annie said welcome already. I want to echo that. Thanks for spending part of your Sunday with us. If you're visiting, thank you so much for uh, coming and tracking us down and darkening the door. We're really, really glad that you're here. Um, You find us this week in week three of our summer teaching series called Wanderers. And um, last week, Joe kicked us off. Or didn't kick us off. Two weeks ago, Joe kicked us off. But last week, Joe was talking through uh, this passage in Numbers uh, where the Israelites are being led through the, uh, through the desert towards this land that God had promised them. And uh, we want to pick that story up today. Last week, it was really a discussion about patience and what to do when things aren't going according to your plan, what to do when things um, aren't going well. Um, that was definitely a difficult journey for them. And we want to we pick that up this week. And uh, we find them kind of at the end of that segment of their journey. They actually reach their destination. Um, Before I dive into that, I want to take two little side tracks um, to talk about this summer teaching series and what we're doing and why. And some just foundational information because it all comes into play um, here in these stories that I'm going to tell you. The first thing I want to talk about real briefly is just um, our teaching methodology. Usually, you know, we teach in series around here four or five or six weeks at a time. We'll put a brand on it to try to help us focus on a theme and some topics. But usually we're teaching to topics, right? We'll pick something or, or we'll be asked something or given something. And we'll, be, we'll be looking to find examples in Scripture that help teach us or illustrate us or encourage us or correct us around a topic, right? So we'll pick maybe like handling emotions or dealing with relationships or, you know, what to do in the workplace or what's a faithful response to fill in the blank kind of a thing. And then we'll go find examples of that and say, okay, here's a passage of Scripture that we think illuminates that. And that's a great way to teach. It's very practical and very pragmatic. I think all of us kind of uh, can, can easily learn from that. Like, oh yeah, I can see where that applies here and maybe uh, try to apply that in my life. But for this series, we've done this before, it's not unique, but for this series, we're flipping that around. And instead of setting out to say, hey, we're going to talk about a topic, we're going to turn to the text. We're going to open up the book of Numbers this summer and start walking through it um, nearly chapter by chapter. We're going to fast forward a couple times. But we're going to look at the text and read it and then say, what can we learn from that? So we're going to talk about all kinds of things about faith and promises and fear and who you listen to and what all a faithful response is to all these different situations today. But that's not the goal of that today. The goal is to sit and read this text and then see what comes out of it. And I share all of that because what that really is is a great opportunity for you. And the opportunity is to read along with us. Um, I believe, we believe that one of the best tools you have at your disposal to strengthen your own faith, develop your own faith, to start to answer your own questions is for you individually to dig into Scripture. Open up the app, open up a Bible, and read and read it. And when we're talking about topics, that's very practical, right? We give all kinds of examples. But what this gives you an opportunity to do is read a, a prolonged passage. Not just a verse here or there, maybe 10 or 12 verses here or there, but to sit down and read chapters. And read it, not to glean some great spiritual understanding from it, although maybe you will, but to read it like you read anything else, with narrative and plot and character in mind. And so what you have is the chance to go out of here today and say, hey, I heard Brian talk about Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Let's go read that and see if it looks like what he described it. 
And uh, if you want to work ahead, we're going to fast forward, and next week I think we're hitting Numbers chapter 19. So if you're the kind of person that likes to like, have the sneak peek, go take a few moments this week and read through Numbers chapter 19, and uh, then come hear what we have to say and pull out of that and see how that compares. Great opportunity for you to exercise some of those skills of just reading the Bible and following along with us. And nothing would give me greater satisfaction than somebody taking this and going and doing just that. Even if it's just to fact check me and see if I told the stories right, um, I would love for that to be uh, your response to this time this morning. And that's the first sidetrack. Now the second sidetrack I want to talk about is this, this Israelite nation that we're going to talk about. And it's, at this time it's kind of a, still a young developing nation. And this idea of covenant. And if you've been around church at all, you've heard about the Israelites. You've heard about this concept or this words of covenant. And uh, I just want to make sure we've got some bedrock understanding because we see some intersections of this. Now for those of you who know more than me about this or know a little bit about this, even the tiniest bit, you're going to know that I'm painting with very broad brushstrokes here this morning. Because I only want to take... Two minutes instead of 20. But with the Israelites, we, we talk about them in all kinds of shortcut phrases. And if, you, if you've been around church, you've heard some of these phrases. And I just want to make sure that we kind of stop and pause and think about them. The Israelites are distinct in our history because God chose them to interact with them differently and to reveal his nature and character. And he established, really with just a person, with Abraham, he established this covenant. And the covenant basically has three prongs that I want to highlight. The covenant, the first part was, and I don't know that these are in order, but the first one is um, descendants. Abraham was told that his descendants would number like the stars. If you've been around any children's programming at church, you've probably heard the song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Right, we talk about this idea of the covenant. It, It spans throughout much of scripture, this idea of the Israelite nation just growing and having a lineage and a legacy and lots of descendants. Uh, The second piece of the covenant was that God said that he would have special relationship with Abraham and his family and this nation that was growing. That God was going to interact with them and be present with them, make his presence known and felt. That God was going to reveal himself to these people differently than he had previously to that time. So we'll talk about the Israelites. One of the shorthand things you'll hear is you'll often hear the Israelites called God's chosen people. And if you're at all kind of a questioning nature, you might wonder, well, why did God choose those people? And what's that about? And what's, what's that mean? That's a whole, that'd be a great topic series right there. Like, what's God's chosen people mean? But for our purposes today, when we talk about God's chosen people, it's because God's chosen to be present with them and to reveal himself. And that's part of that covenantal relationship with the, the early Israelites. And then the third piece, which is really going to be the central tenet that we're going to see this morning, is there was a promise of land. The Israelites were an early nomadic culture. They had very meager belongings. They wandered around with their livestock and just lived life kind of on the run. Um, nothing permanent, just a totally different lifestyle than I can imagine. I can barely wrap my mind around it. But uh, part of God's covenant with them was that he was going to bring them to and give them land. And uh, the closest thing I can relate to that is I've moved a couple times, right? So if you've ever moved across the country or maybe just across town, and you kind of have those awkward hours or days or months of like homelessness and being unsettled, or maybe it's temporary housing or wherever you find yourself. That's the closest thing I can get to that. This story is generations. God's saying, I will give you land. Trust me. And not just days or weeks or months, but for generations, God says that. So, but those, all those threads weave through this story and they kind of all intersect this morning. We're going to come back to that. But when you think about this idea of the the early Israelites and the covenant, think about uh, the special relationship God has with them, the, the promise of descendants and legacy and lineage and the promise of land. And when we talk about the promised land, if you're like me and speak very quickly, you tend to elide that all into one big word, the promised land. 
And uh, I can't hear that phrase without thinking about this great theme park that just says promised land. Like, not even, without the D, just promised land. And uh, that's fine, we all speak kind of casually, but when you hear that, think about, it's not promised land, the theme park, it's the land that God had promised their ancestors. They're waiting for it, longing for it, yearning for it. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. The Israelites had been captured and enslaved in Egypt. God raised up a leader, Moses, and led them out of slavery and then through the desert and brings them to the border and says, this, this area, it's called Canaan. This area is the land that I'm going to give you. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in Numbers 13. And uh, the next kind of phase here, I just want to talk us through that. I'm going to read a lot of this. And um, frankly, I, I, I didn't finish this stuff until yesterday. And we don't have a lot of scripture slides up here until later. So this, I would encourage you, read up, open up your Bible and read along with me in Numbers 13. I'll try to follow you along. Or just sit back and listen. Uh, honestly, this stuff comes from oral tradition. Listening to it is as spiritual and as engaged as anything else. But I want to read straight from this text, and, and, and we're going to explore what's going on here. So Moses has led the Israelites. The entire nation is gathered. And uh, Moses, God asked Moses to choose, to, to select leaders from each of the tribes. The Israelites were divided and organized into 12 tribes. They choose a leader from each tribe, and they send them off. Um, there's a couple ways to look at this. Either they're a committee or they're a team. So it kind of depends how, if you think committees are effective or not. But they send off this team to go do reconnaissance in the land. And basically they're trying to answer the question of what's this land like? God has promised this to us and now we've imagined it. It's like paradise, right? Is it really, does it match what we've, our expectations have grown, grown to expect? And so they send this team out. Now, we'll all, I will probably call them spies. You often hear them called spies. Um, I, don't, I don't see like, that it's a military campaign. They, it, apparently, they're walking around mostly in public. So I think they're more like tourists writing a travelogue. Like, here's what, here's what this land is. But we'll call them spies because it sounds more exciting that way. But here's the charge that Moses gives them. Moses sent them to explore Canaan. This is Numbers uh, chapter 13 and then 17 and following, if you want to read along with me. Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are the trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And it happened to be the season for the first ripe grapes. But I think it's about now, June or July. So this team gets gathered, 12 people. I don't know if they took assistance with them or not, but they're, they're nomadic. They're used to backpacking, so they go out on this great backpacking trip to check out the land. Um, if you just look at the points that it says they went to, it looks like they traveled somewhere around 500 miles, about 250 miles up and back. Um, they might have split up. We don't know if they were all together or not. Um, the Bible says they were gone for 40 days, which is code for more a long time, basically. More than a month. We're not really sure what their clip was, but they come back. So all the people sent them off on this mission, and now they're just waiting Kind of back echoes of that patience topic last week. They're just waiting. And then the team comes back and they issue their report. And the first thing about the report is that they've gathered all these facts and they're undisputed facts. They agree on all of this. Let's hear their report. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. That's Bible code for it's awesome. It flows with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. They brought back this giant branch of grapes. Two men carried it on their shoulders and say, look, here are the grapes that come out of this land. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. 
And then all these different tribes are there. The Amalekites and the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. But that's the report. Yep, there's people. Yep, there's fortified cities. And the land is awesome. That's it. And that's what Moses asked them to go find. That's great. And now we see there's a schism in this team that was sent out. We actually have two different factions. And the first faction we hear from is the faithful few. And they're ready. This is Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua say, God has chosen this land for us and brought us here. We've got the report. It's awesome. Let's go. And then you quickly hear the fearful side of the faction. The other ten, apparently. They speak up. And here's exactly what they say. They say, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They say, and the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. And it's like, it's almost like they panicked here. Like these, uh, these don't even make, these sentences don't even make sense to me because it can't all be true. The land can't be awesome and yet devour all the people. And if it devours all the people, how are they great size? Like I don't, I don't even understand what's going on here. They've just panicked and they're fearful. And they seem like have zero confidence in the promise that God has given them that he will deliver this land to them. It closed by saying, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We look the same to them. The people there are huge compared to us. Uh, one commentary I read said that that's like us saying that we feel like a shrimp. Like grasshoppers were just like a small, a small thing. And I would never really compare myself to a grasshopper, but I am like a tiny guy growing up in high school. And I did feel like a shrimp. So I can understand what it feels like when Joe stands next to you to feel like a grasshopper. And we look like a grasshopper to them. So that's the report from the front lines, right? That was the, the recon mission. And the people here that had waited 40 days or a long time for this report, now they have an option of who to listen to. God's promised this land to them. They've gotten a report that the land matches what they expected. And yet you've got this faction of fearful leaders that's just spreading panic and all these contradictory statements. And the people rebel. That night, the members of the community raised their... This is, the, this is the early verses of chapter 14, if you're following along. I'm skipping around a little bit, but pretty much just going linear here. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, their primary leaders, and the whole assembly said to them, If we'd only died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by our swords? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They were slaves in Egypt. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So Caleb and Joshua decided to make one more like, rhetorical attempt here to guide and lead this group. And they issued their minority report. Moses and Aaron fall face down in front of the whole Israelites. They know, Moses and Aaron know that this is God's promise and God's leading and God's provision. And they're at, a, they're at a point here that's significant. Moses and Aaron fall down in just respect and fear in front of the assembly. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of a name I'm not going to say in public, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. That's just, that's how serious that's where they, they tear their clothes. It's a symbolic act of, 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 of this is a moment and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. It's just as promised. If the Lord is pleased with us, 
He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And then, something crazy happens. Like in our world, if you're watching a movie, this kind of makes sense. All right, we've got people in conflict and all this. God shows up. God shows up, says to Moses, come here, and they go talk. God's not pleased with this. God considers his wrath. And he says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? And what you have to remember is they were led through the, they were led through the desert to get to this point, And it was, it was unpleasant. It was a tough journey, but God provided for them all the way. God made his presence felt with clouds of, of fire and, and his presence was felt to lead them through the desert. He's been with them all the way. And, he's, and the people continue to grumble and moan and complain throughout that. And then they're here on the border and they're grumbling and moaning and complaining. And God says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I performed among them? I will strike them down with the plague and destroy them. I will make you into a nation greater. And that you is the faithful folks. Moses, Aaron, Caleb, Joshua. I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. And here's where I want to pause and come back to that bedrock foundation of covenant. Because we all see it here, right? You see the promise of descendants. And God's saying, you know what? I'll, I'll just strike you down, right? That part of the covenant's gone. I'll just, I'll eliminate that. And you see that in the people's concern. They're worried about their children, their wives, and their families. Because that idea of a promise of descendants of becoming a mighty nation was key to the idea of covenant. And you see the promise of land. They're sitting here on the border, and God's saying, I've given this to you. And they're saying, we don't trust you. And you see it in this special relationship because God shows up and talks to Moses. And that covenant theme just infuses all these stories. So Moses intercedes. Moses uh, appeals to another part of God's nature identity, and he says to, to God, God, you are slow to anger. You are abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. You don't leave the guilty unpunished. You punish the children for the sin of their parents. But in accordance with your great love, this is uh, 19, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people. Just as you pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Over and over again, you've done this. Please forgive them again. And so you have this point-counterpoint. God's saying, you deserve wrath and judgment. You continue to show contempt. I'm just done. I parent a three-year-old. I can, I, so I can identify with that emotion right there. I'm done with you. And Moses says, hold on. There's another side to this. And so God decides. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the wilderness as they were led, in the desert as they were led to the promised land, not one of them who saw the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with, the contempt, with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring them into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. That's God's decision. This land is still yours. You will get it. Generations from now will get it. You will not. You had your chance, and you blew it. Sounds like something I might say at home, too. <laughs> and then, much like a toddler, they decide they actually wanted this thing that they just said they didn't want. 
And uh, now that God has told them they're not going to enter, all these folks that were so fearful before decide, you know what, we're going to take it anyway, with or, with, God, with or without God. They charge up a hill, and they attack the city, and it doesn't go well. And they're repelled back, and they retreat. And then with that, our passage of the story closes, and we find them going back into the wilderness, into the desert, for another long period of time, until they get another opportunity to enter the promised land um, in the future. And so that's our story, Numbers 13 and 14. We've got uh, this reconnaissance mission, and then their report back, and then the people trying to figure out what they do with that information and how they will decide, and will they trust God's promises. And so here's where we just kind of pause and say, what, what do we learn from that? What do we learn about the Bible and what about history, and how might that impact and inform our faith today? And so I just want to talk through some things that I think, I think we can learn from that. The first one is my favorite lesson in the Bible, which is that people from three or 4,000 years ago are a lot like people today. Um, I don't know. When I read the Bible, it's really easy for me to imagine like it's aliens. Like it's just so far back in history, and culture's different, and language is different, and structures are different, and technology is different, and I think there's, there's so much difference. Everything I read... Is, gives me evidence that the human heart, like actual the human condition, has not changed that much from then to now. People then were selfish and self-centered and easily persuaded. They were fickle. They were fearful. They were human, just like me. They had the presence of God with them and didn't trust it. At the end, when they're getting ready to make, the, when they're ready to make that reckless charge, they say, now we're ready to go to the land the Lord has promised. Surely we have sinned. And I love that because there's a couple different ways you can read it. But part of me reads it just like this total like, disconnect. Like, yeah, we've sinned, but who cares about that? Let's go anyway. Like this, we, we want to live in this world where there's no consequences. Or you make a quick apology. Like, oh yeah, I got it. Never mind. Let's just go. Now, people then are much like us today. We, we like to imagine that we can just say, yep, we sinned. Let me have all that blessing that I was promised with, uh, without, any, without any consequence. The second thing we can learn is that trusting God is important. I think that's a really key point of this passage. God has led them here. He says, I've led you here. I've been with you. I've provided for you. Why do you not trust me? Let's take, like, highlight reel. This, you know, when you do topic teaching, let's talk about this. Let's go look for some, some Bible highlights that tell us about this. We can run to Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, that he will make your paths straight. Staying in Proverbs. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Uh, we can hop to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Hop into the New Testament. Uh, this is in Acts. This is the early church here in the New Testament. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Trusting God is important. Now that's something to wrestle with. We don't always have these very cut and dry moments where God has led us to the border of a land and said, go, it's yours, take it, or I will give it to you. It's not always clear like that, but that's part of what reading the Bible is about, and it's part of what being church community is about, is figuring out that we can 
know and learn about the nature of God and what it means to be a disciple and what it means to pursue righteousness. And we can wrestle with that in all the things that we find in our lives. And we will find ourselves in moments where we have an opportunity to trust God, where we think, God, I think I know God's way here. And it's not what my instinct tells me. It's not what my gut tells me. It's not what my emotions tell me I want to do. It's not how I want to react or how I want to act. But I think that's what God wants me. I think that's what the godly response is. We have moments where we can trust God, even when it goes against our, uh, goes against the grain. Another lesson we can learn uh, this morning is who you listen to matters. The Israelites had a choice. They could have listened to the faithful Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, or they could listen to the fearful. And they chose to listen to the fearful leaders and not the faithful leaders. Who you listen to matters. And you've got to be careful with that. I've got to be careful with that. And I say that without, I'm not trying to make something too bold here because there's, there's fearful and there's faithful and then there's all this other, I don't know, crazy, like uh, fanciful. Like just because you're bold and confident doesn't mean you're faithful. And sometimes fear is healthy. There's all kinds of things here that we can unpack and wrestle with. But all things equal. You've got good, trusted leaders. I think, we, I think it matters who we listen to. I think it's good to listen to the faithful over the fearful. Another thing we can learn, we just see it right here, is something that we wrestle with. If you've uh, sat around in church, um, you've probably wrestled, whether you put these labels on it, but you've wrestled with the nature and character of God. Well, God's nature is defined by both justice and mercy. Now, if you're like me, you love the idea of a merciful God, and you want God to be merciful to me. And I also love the idea of a God of justice, and I want God to be the God of justice for everybody else. Maybe I'm the only one like that. I love to think about the God of grace and mercy when it refers to me. You know, for the folks that I think have wronged me or might be wrong, I want God to be the God of justice and judgment. I think we have to wrestle with the fact that God is both a God of justice and mercy. We see evidence of that here in this story, and we wrestle with that. I think you should wrestle with that. What if, if you're like me, I think you should wrestle with the fact that God is also the God of justice for you. God's the God of justice for me. And God is also the God of grace and mercy for all those folks that I want him to be the God of justice for. The people that I'm afraid of, the people I'm scared of, the people I hate, the people whatever. I think we can learn from this a little bit about God's nature, and we can wrestle with that. And where I really want to land, where I think this all distills down to, is fundamentally this is a story about fear versus faith. That people had the presence of God and the promise of God, and they were on the cusp. And they could choose who they listen to in their gut, who they listen to as leaders. What do they choose? What part of that inner part of the human condition, that fear versus faith... Another great topic for us maybe to dig into in the future, but let me give you just a couple things to think about. Uh, we can hop into Isaiah. This is uh, later on in the Old Testament. This is God speaking through his prophet. God says to these same Israelites, generations later, it's like this is a theme in their story, because it is. Listen to these words, and listen to them thinking about this story of numbers, of being on the cusp, being part of their collective history. God says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. It seems like he said these things before to them. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
God continues to say to the Israelites over and over and over, I am with you. Do not be afraid. You should trust in me. Have faith in me. As another example for this, let's flip to uh, Matthew. This is the closing verses of Matthew, the end of Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The interesting thing about, to me about fear and faith is that the, the, the concepts are related in the Bible. We are taught to have a healthy fear of many things. In fact, you'll see the fear of the Lord is one of those themes that you'll kind of pick up if you're reading through Scripture. The fear of the Lord, right? Which seems a little contradictory. You're supposed to love God. Why should we fear God? There's elements of fear that are healthy and holy and righteous. And they lead us to faith. I think I wonder if we, uh, if we sometimes flip those things around that we fear the things that we should have faith in and we have faith in the things that we really ought to fear. I think it's worthwhile wrestling with this idea of fear versus faith. We think about the Israelites so many generations ago staring down the promised land and we have that same thing today. In our own lives, in those quiet moments when the lights are off and you're laying in bed and all you have is yourself and your own thoughts, will you choose fear or faith? In your families? In this community, in our community, in this world, will we choose fear or faith? And it's not that simple. Will we choose what? What do we fear? And what do we have faith in? And then, the core, and then what do we trust? All this is about trusting God, right where I started. What do we trust? And so it's my prayer that we would wrestle with that today and this week. What's it mean, this faith versus fear idea? When you hear conflicting reports about God's promises, you're not sure what to do. When you're standing at an intersection, you have a big decision to make. Wrestle with, what does it mean to be a people of faith? And I think for us, it means faith is more than just like orthodoxy, right? It's not just a checkbox of belief. Like, yep, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. Yep, I'm a person of faith. There's something about faith that is active. It's choosing. It's living faithfully, not just belief. There's something that's that a response, right? I respond to God. I respond to my life and my surroundings and those events faithfully. It's not just about, yes, I believe something and would agree with that statement. It's my prayer that we would be a people of that kind of faith, that we would live faithfully, actively, honestly, and that would lead us to a, a, a really a sense of spiritual vulnerability, faithful vulnerability here in the midst of us. And that's how I want to close today. Is I want to pray over us that we would be that kind of people. Father God, thank you for these moments. Thank you for your scripture, these stories that have lasted for so many millennia. God, thank you that we can sit and stand here and dig into it and not just learn history, and it's kind of cool to read words that are thousands of years old, but also ask, what can we learn? God, I pray in these moments, in the, the hearts and minds of everybody gathered here, that we would learn. God, whisper to us about some of these things, that 
trust in you is important and who we listen to is important. That we should wrestle with faith and fear and that we are called to be a people of faith and trust. God, make your presence felt with us. Much like those times of old, may we feel like you are near, guiding us and drawing us. We believe that's true. We were taught that you do that through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that, that we would feel that. God, make your spirit felt in our lives, in our families, in this church. God, help us to be that faithful few. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.